Greetings, and welcome to DWR, Discussions on Writing and Rhetoric, a space for informal conversations around research and practice in the field at the university level, a place inclusive for curious novices, blossoming scholars, and seasoned academics to consider and share their inquiries, experiences, and passions surrounding writing and rhetoric. We are your hosts, Professors Megan Falconer and Nicholas Gardiakos with the University of Central Florida. Thank you for joining us. Now let's get this conversation started. Thank you for joining us. Our conversation today is with Dr. Angela R. Roundsville, Associate Professor and Director of First Year Composition here at UCF. In addition, Dr. Roundsville's research works at the intersection of transnational literacy studies, rhetorical genre studies, and writing-related transfer. In this episode, we will discuss the evolving needs of the composition classroom and how we as professors are striving to support and empower our students to develop as writers. Thank you so much for being with us today. Wow. Thank you for having me. Do I need to say your entire name every time I address you? No. No. Okay. Not at all. Not <laughs> okay. at all. But if anyone's wondering, the R is Ray. That's oh, my middle name. Okay. Very nice. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a good mix of short and long. There you go. There you go. So like I said in the intro, you are our director of first year writing studies here at UCF. And I think that um, it's worth discussing for a moment the approach that we take here in terms of our writing about writing pedagogy. Is it pedagogy or pedagogy? I'm never sure. Depends. I hear both. Tomato, I'm good tomato. with both. Okay. I'm good with both. The more, the more variation, the better. Right? I think I should say term. it differently every time. I'll just put the <laughs> emphasis on it. <laughs> pedagogy, yeah. <laughs> So this writing about writing approach um, emphasizes writing as both the content and the activity, right? So why is that important in terms of composition classroom to think about writing as the content and the activity? Yeah, I love that this is the first question because I think for me, you know, as you know, and listeners who are in our department know, we are kind of evolving, broadening, um, animating differently our curriculum. But the core is still the tenets from writing about writing. Um, so, I mean, I can talk about the content and the activity, but I think maybe I'll talk a little bit first about just the broader context of why I am just have been and still am and probably will always be um, a big fan of that approach. So... That approach at its core has a couple of things that I think are just, um, we, we can't r really find other ways to think about how writing works in the world, right? Which is writing is situated. I mean, and, and this is not, I mean, I don't think anyone's arguing against this anymore. You know, we're, we're 2022. And for me, what this means is writing happens in communities, for communities, by communities, and communities are broad. I mean, they can be disciplines, um, they can be religious communities, they can be, I mean, you, you name it. Um, and so this approach for me starts there. And as a result, it asks us to situate how we teach writing within a community. So then the question is, what community? Um, and this is where I think there is a combination of both writing studies, research, and pedagogy, 
and um, perhaps political is the right word. Um, I mean, we can see. I'll, let me know if you think political is the right word. But first, we've got to situate in community, right? And so we know that from literacy studies theory, sociolinguistics theory, writing studies theory, like there's no debate there. What community are we going to situate in? Well, <laughs> um, we are writing teachers with expertise in writing. If we want to teach genres that are situated and mediate activity, we need genres that connect content and form because genres are actually the intersection of both of those things. There isn't a contentless genre or a formless content when I write, right? And so let's take that as another presupposition, right? And we can agree with that. There's research and theory on that. <clears throat> so we've got to center that. Now, what genres that are going to unite content and form are we going to teach to first-year writers? Well, there's also a lot of research on how declarative and procedural knowledge, and this is not just in composition, this is in cognitive psychology, a lot of fields talk about this. But when we unite both content and form, right, is over here, and then we unite declarative and procedural knowledge, students, learners, are more likely to get a multifaceted depth, right? Because they are learning the what and they are practicing the how. And that works together for, um, for learning, <laughs> yeah? And so, and we want students to learn. So we have content and form in the genre. We have declarative and procedural, right, from educational theory. And then we have who are we as instructors and what do we know? If we really want to help students grow as writers, shouldn't we be pulling on our own expertise? to do so, and we are experts in writing theory and writing research. So for me, all of those combine, and it just makes sense. Um, and then that latter part, so that, that third portion of it's what we know, it's what we do, let's bring our expertise to the classroom, that is the part that also has the, I'm calling it for now, the political dimension, which is if we want to create a labor structure within a first-year writing program that is ethical and that actually kind of responds back to a really retrograde history about how composition was considered by the university, any old John can teach it, right? You don't need expertise. All you're doing is these surface-level universal skills. Um, that's not true. In this model, that's not possible. We have to elevate who we are as teachers, as experts. And I, I guess the reason I say as political is that is a direct affront to how the university historically, and in many cases, continues to view first-year comp and those who teach it. Um, so, I mean, maybe I'll pause. I'm getting a little animated here. I forgot how much I love this. I should recall because at 57.05 the other night, they couldn't shut me up. And so, um. Well, I think you talk about that historical approach to any old person can teach this class because traditionally composition looked very different. It was... We're going to write on a theme on Shakespeare. You know, we're going to we're going to include you're going to look at literature and you're going to write back about literature, which is great if you're a freshman who's going to be a literature major. But for the 99 percent of everyone else that comes through the classroom, 
it really wasn't doing a service, which I think is part of where this big like paradigm shift came towards the approach of how we teach composition. So it's like the rest of the way that the university thinks about that approach to who teaches what is caught back, you know, a few steps behind where the research and everything has gone because they're not the specialists in the field. They don't see the impact and how much it influences the students and their outcomes and their potential as scholars in general, you know, or success in life. Yeah. And on a, on a classroom level, I, I love that example because that's kind of how I present it to my students in a, in a composition class. You know, when I want to talk about how, you know, what the effect of, of research in a field and knowledge making in a field looks like, I, I it's fun to get very meta in that moment and say, the class you're in right now is a direct result of that, right? Uh, is a direct result of of the way in which we think about what a composition class should be. And it's affecting your life because <laughs> you're in this composition class doing these kinds of assignments or, or observations and applying these these theoretical frames to you know the things that you choose to look at in the world. Uh, but the fact that we're doing that approach in this class is a result of what we're talking about and the effect that can have. So it's kind of fun, you know, to, to present that to students of this is not just something that that may happen or might happen in, you know, later on in your career that you might, you know, experience as a student. This is this is something that that you're experiencing, you know, the way this class is different than other composition ap approaches right now yeah. or we're, when, you know, the way we're talking and, and what we're reading in this classroom. So. That's a really kind of fun way to, to, to bring that in for students, even in composition one and two. I love that because I think the other dimension about the approach we do, the writing about writing approach, is that we teach realistic conceptions of writing. Um, and then those realistic conceptions, the students can see in their lives. Um, they can see in the world. And so, you know, we're not trying to, I feel, teach an idealized version, right? Or a version that will only happen this one time in this one class. But we have an opportunity to talk to students about how writing and language work in the world because it's a ubiquitous phenomena. Like go through a day where you do not write. You can't do it, right? We just, it's not done. and. There's a text that I adore. Um, I don't know why it didn't get as much circulation as Literacy in American Lives, but it was Deborah Brandt's kind of most recent and maybe last. I don't know. Maybe she's, she's still going to publish again. It was called The Rise of Writing. And she does a study. It's similar to Literacy in American Lives, you know, in the sense that it's, you know, interviews of large swaths of people and she's doing a a kind of sociological analysis, meaning she's looking across all of the data for patterns to raise them to a level of kind of um, consistency in a sense to say something about how writing is working um, in, you know, in this context, in the US and, you know, in, in this time and et cetera. But what she argues in that book is that we have, and of course this is an argument and people may disagree, but we have really transitioned as a culture from one where reading was the height of literacy 
to where writing is the height of literacy, meaning on a daily basis what the kind of uh, workaday people, that's her phrase, engage in is writing, writing first. So reading is still, it's not, you know, removed, but we write first. That's the first impulse. Um, and then we do it in all kinds of ways and all kinds of spaces. And so for me, the argument that she makes here, like, convinces me, like, persuades me even more that we need to talk about how writing works in the world for students because they will never not do it. And they can kind of move along, um, you know, kind of in the vagueness of life and encounter it and kind of bounce back and forth between writing situations where they could have a different relationship. And I feel like, like on the larger scale, what we're trying to do is give them a different relationship to the ubiquitous reality of writing in the world. Um, well, writing might be the most accessible that it has ever been. Yes, given, I love that. Given yeah. the variety of platforms in which we yeah. communicate in the written word and the way that as a, as a culture, we put so much stock, you know, a tweet can yeah, be on yes. the news by someone yeah. who is not a person that is a celebrity or an expert, but that well-crafted tweet is suddenly something that is, you know, uh, part of the zeitgeist and part of yeah. what we know. And, um, you know, there's a lot of tweets that don't make it, <laughs> but, but every now and then, you know, anyone can strike gold and s see themselves on the news or, you know, have the most likes they've ever seen or it goes yeah. viral or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think that part where, there's a little bit of that idea that, <clears throat> you know, writing was really only accessible to a certain amount of yes. people, at least successful, powerful writing was really yeah. a, a, done by a small group of people, just like academics or, yeah. you know, anything else that was limited in um, accessibility to a lot of different people. But mm. um, now that it's become such a part of the, of our fabric yeah. and our daily activity and how much power that has to them is so eye-opening because no one's ever told them that that is mm -hmm. important before. It's mm -hmm. kind of like laughed at. But there are people that make a living now on, t you know, making TikTok videos mm -hmm. <laughs> that have never thought they were going to be content creators or consider yeah. themselves that way, but suddenly had something to say and it, it has traction and, and there is value in that. I don't think it should be necessarily looked down on yeah. as, you know, some sort of form that isn't, you know, equally as value as writing long prose or, you know, other types of writing. Yeah, and not only uh, exploring those relationships to everyday writing, but um, just for students sometimes, especially in the composition classes, it's just expanding that view of what writing is. You know, I was talking to my 1102 students yesterday about, you know, the, the sort of intersection between content, format, and medium, you know, um, how those, how that creates, you know, uh, different platforms and different, you know, technologies and, and different access creates genres and, you know, creates, you know, those literacies that, that we gain and use, um, you know, every single day all the time. And so it's really kind of what I like about that, uh, again, is in getting students to maybe try something new with, you know, things that, that we look at in terms of a research project or asking those questions you know, we're, we're also 
in the classrooms leveraging and, and accessing what they already have or, or making them realize yes. what they have, you know, in that sort of assets based approach, which which is a, a really great part of it as well. So, uh, Angie, how do you see that uh, connecting to, you know, the the yeah. the writing about writing approach? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. Um Recently, you know, we've been having conversations in the composition program about really like, you know, forwarding an assets-based approach, Um, you know, meaning that what students do, what they know, what they bring um, is powerful. It's a discursive resource. It's not, there's nothing lacking per se. There's not a limitation. Um, and so we can expand what students know um, through our approaches. We can help students use what they know to bridge to other kinds of writing and other ways of thinking about writing. Um, and I, I think the assets-based approach, while we're talking about it now, I think it has always been part of writing about writing. Um, but I think it has been, like, if you look at it on, an, on a kind of national level and, and just some of the conversations that go on in, in the discipline, I, I think that has been overlooked. Um, and I think there's been assumptions that, that that hasn't been there. But if you go back and read some of Downs and Wardle's first articles um, about this approach, like their 2007 uh, article, um, writing misconceptions. The core of that is the student and the students writing lives, the students writing processes, the students writing histories, the students writing aspirations. And we build research and kind of inquiry around that so that that's the starting point. And I suppose the difference now, I think, in how we're expanding the program is that we are really deliberately um, and kind of consciously and vocally trying to name a much wider variety of what exists as student experience, Um, you know, from language variety to really expanding how we're understanding cultural experiences, um, to really expanding how we're understanding genre and rhetorical repertoires across cultures, across um, communities. So in some ways, and, and I will, I'm gonna shout out, I don't know if Adele will listen to this, but she said something to me about these new outcomes. She said, this was the next logical step in writing about writing, given like what we have to do as a program to respond to our students. And I thought that was a really lovely and pithy way to think about like some things carry on and some things I feel like we've taken a core um, and we've expanded them to respond as we must, right? Every approach has to respond to changing rhetorical situations and social contexts. Otherwise, 
you know, you become conservative. And I don't mean in that in that sense, I mean, you're backward looking, you you know, you're, you're, you're not thinking about both what students need in the world and who students are right now. I'm so glad you bring that up because I wanted to mention this and I wasn't sure how to segue to it. I don't know about you or you, Nick, but um, the most common response I get from people outside of work when I talk about what we're doing here and I say, you know, we're, we're revising these learning outcomes to include, um, you know, or address language diversity and multimodality as being legitimate and important parts of the composition classroom. And I get from from completely different people, unrelated, not listening to each other, you know, other conversations. So you're going to just let them write whatever they want to. And it doesn't form doesn't matter anymore. Content doesn't matter anymore. Grammar doesn't matter anymore. And it's like, where are you getting that from? And what I said, (laughs) I didn't say anything about getting rid of the idea of effective writing and the ways that we are effective in our writing. We're just bringing in this other element of that. So have you had similar kind of reactions from, from anyone that you've spoken to? Or has that any, ever come up? Or do you have a response to that that is universal? I mean, like, do can, I speak to anyone who's not in my work? <laughs> um. I have two people. <laughs> I mean, first, something that you said, I think, I think this is really interesting. And I think this is... This is the ongoing struggle, which is the struggle against the myth. Like, the struggle against the ideology is never-ending. What you said was, we are enlivening and broadening these outcomes to kind of both account for and invite in the reality, right? Um, Which truthfully has always been there, right? language diversity of our students um, and multiple ways of writing beyond, right, alphabetic text. So, but then you said, you know, the response was, what about content and and form and grammar? I mean, the nutty thing is, like, what about language variety and multimodal composition is contentless, formless, and grammarless. Nothing, right? Those are also situated literacies that have developed patterns over time based on culture, based on institution, right? Based on their relationship and proximity to different kinds of centers of power, based on someone's family, based on someone's own personal development. So I think like, when I hear something like that, it's more reason why every first-year writing teacher needs to have expertise in writing studies. Because the answer is, those things have all of that, uh, you know, every part of that list. But because what's happening in that response is, it is the, you know, you know, it is the whitenessing <laughs> of writing, Here's the universal approach, and I'm going to say that's true of all writing anywhere, all time of anybody, Um, but that writing is just a really particular situated writing that has become big because it's been part of the power center, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, 
that's why I'd love to have that conversation with somebody. Yeah. If I knew anybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that, 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 myth my house. Is, <laughs> that myth is really powerful. You know, I think that's kind of what, you know, that, that story says to me is that, you know, there is, there's still, still work to be done to, to deconstruct that. Um, and that is something that, you know, I think that we see from students in the classroom again, when we, when we, when we ask them about prior experience with writing, when we ask them, you know, what, you know, they, they bring with them in terms of, of, you know, what the quote unquote rules are and, and things like that and, and how they apply them. Uh, at least for me, that's, that's still there, you know, and, and, and interrogating that and, and bringing that up, it's, it's, you know, one of the most enjoyable parts of teaching comp is, is to be able to like address that, like you said, Angie, in the reality of, of what, what, what is real. And, and that's what, again, in, in the classroom, on the classroom level feels really good about this approach with students is that it is in, in the reality of, of the way language works and not, um, not an idea that there is a, a, a an artificial like restriction or set of rules that's out there that that they need to uh, adhere to you know when they when they use language um, that it is situational yeah. uh, and I think that is something that um, I don't know how much time it will take or 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 effort but you know it's something that that is 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 certainly still ongoing. Um, uh, and, and we know that from just listening to what, what students say about what they bring with them, you know, in those experiences. Well, similarly, students carry in this idea when we ask them, what is academic writing to you? Yeah. And they think it has to have a particular vocabulary yeah. or a particular um, tone that maybe does not meet their authentic voice. Mm. And I like to ask them, well, consider where does that come from? Like, what is the history behind what you think of as an academic voice or academic writing? And it was meant to be exclusive. It was meant to not Mm -hmm. be accessible to everyone, Mm -hmm. you know? And um, again, like, we're not saying that to write academically does not mean that you should be considering the content and Mm -hmm. vocabulary and all Mm -hmm. of that. But um, that just as we professors carry in our past formative experiences when it comes to writing instruction and the way that we learned it, you know, or we were uh, first exposed to the idea of composition and composition studies may not be what meets the world we're living in today. Students are also carrying in that kind of baggage mm-hmm. where we're, we're now getting a chance to meet in the middle and be like, no, 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 we're going to do this together and we're going to move past and and move to this new better thing that is more empowering and more um, accessible, I guess would be the word. I want to ask Angie, uh, as the director of the composition program, um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, what we want composition courses to do, the first year writing program to do. And so, you know, we think of, we brainstorm, we come up with, you know, outcomes, uh, course outcomes for 1101 and 1102. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like what that process has been like for you. I know it's it's been a, a, a few versions of those outcomes uh, recently <laughs> um, and, and, and over the years. So I think it would be interesting to, to 
you know, to, to hear from you, like what that, how that process goes and, and what that process is like for you. I'm just thinking here to find the point of departure, you know, because no stories <laughs> has a beginning, middle and end right in a neat way. Well, we had the existing set, right, we do. of learning outcomes yeah. that are still technically being used. Yeah. So, well, I, I guess <clears throat> I recently, and, and recently probably like within the last year or so, I think I finally came to understand um, like truly what a what the goal of an outcome is. Um, now, so we have first year writing. I mean, there's all kinds of courses in the university and they all have outcomes. But I think I feel very um, lucky <laughs> and very privileged to have been able to work with outcomes in first year writing because outcomes, as I've come to understand them, represent the construct, right? Meaning um, like the, the cluster of all of the, the theory and the ideas that one has about how one learns to write and what kind of writing one should know now in the world as a first-year student in 2020. So in first-year writing, we get the opportunity through outcomes, and I think this is really powerful, to basically present students with, guide them through, and help them um, make sense of writing constructs um, which are how we are saying now, provisional, provisionally, of course, right? Um, that this is how writing is working. This is what you need to move along in this kind of stream of life at this point that will bring you in from your prior and move you toward what is in your future. So the outcomes, in a sense, are that space where we are offering that to students. And when I came to understand that, it became very clear to me that they have got to be based in a couple of things. They've got to be responsive to local context because the writing construct that students are going to um, be excited by and see a need for is going to be based in who they are and uh, what they do and where they're going. It also needs to be based in, you know, theory and research. So I don't see outcomes as something like, um, I'm just going to, you know, like one piece of writing ha has this dimension. And so now it's an outcome, like, you know, like an outcome is like this paper should have a thesis statement. I mean, that is like so low level. We might teach that in the class, but that's not part of a holistic construct of how we want to consider um, what writing is now for students at UCF and what kind of learning would best benefit them, right, as they're in this transitionary period, excuse me, between coming in and then moving on um, in their studies. So the, um, 
what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> your experience in um, yeah, revising the all, outcomes? All your thoughts about outcomes? Um, no, but just, just to respond for, for a minute to, to what you said, Angie, um, about about what the outcomes are trying to capture uh, as a as a as a teacher that's it's 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 a good thing to have because there are so many ways to get there yes. you know as opposed to the example that you just used about making sure there is assignment where a student demonstrates that they know how to use a thesis uh, statement or uh, an assignment that demonstrates that a student can you know uh, collect and annotate uh, academic journal research right um, those, those, you know, don't leave a lot of room for, for creativity and, 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 you know, different, different approaches that, that us as instructors might have. So one thing that, that makes the outcomes fun to work with, um, but also interesting to connect to is, is that the multiple ways there are of getting to those outcomes or, or showing those outcomes, um, and this is why, you know, we, we're constantly you know, having conversations yes. about the outcomes, revising them and talking about the, the ways in which we we try and get there with our assignments. But to me, that openness is 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 exciting um, um, because it leaves it, it leaves room for for an instructor to, to have that to have that effect, to have that interpretation, to 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 bring students there in various ways. Well, and if it's. If outcomes are f formed more as a checklist, like this assignment will will satisfy this, it's no different than write me a five paragraph essay that is argumentative that they have done, you know, all through high school and many of whom feel very limited by and discouraged by, you know, this idea that they have to follow this particular, I need this sentence, this sentence, and this sentence and I can get a 100. Now, some students really like that kind of sense of security, and there's that struggle as well. Um, but they also are learning in that moment that, you know, writing outside of a classroom is not a five-paragraph essay. Mm -hmm. Again, there are all, all these modalities. There's all these instances of writing in their world and every single day, you know, every aspect. Um, and I love that moment of, like, first there's that sense of relief when I say we're not writing five-paragraph essays in class. They're all like, oh, thank goodness. But also there's a little bit of afraid. I've, I don't know, well, what is it that I'm doing? I don't know this. But then towards the end where they really see that there is a life outside of just writing um, to, to check the box, mm -hmm. you know, and to actually have it as something that they can use in an arsenal to make them effective, you know, humans in the world. It's, it's that's such a great moment and such a great part of our course. That's why it's so easy for us, I think, to get excited about it because we get how empowering that is. Yeah. You know, and we get to share that with our students, and it is—it's—it's it's such a shift. Yeah, to think of writing as empowering for them. Absolutely, and I think I'm really glad that Nick, you said, and then Megan, you f followed up with example about this idea that the outcomes are not meant to f prescribe what any one instructor does in their class. It's like we have total faith in the expertise and the knowledge and the passion of everyone who works in the first year composition program. And so the outcomes are ideally where we are collectively going, but they are in no way, you know, the, the, the um, 
they in no way determine like how someone is going to get there. And so I think that's where like the personal dimension is so important. What do I love? What am I very good at? Um, you know, obviously it's not, you know, we're not just doing whatever. We're all, you know, working towards a goal. But like, I'm hopeful that these outcomes present that way. So that, you know, I mean, I know, Megan, just from conversation, and then I went into your class, like you do a lot with social media. And so you move students toward that larger understanding of the outcome through that avenue. Right. And I mean, and I know, you know, Nick is going to be doing something different. Um, and that's something else, actually, that um, I kind of came to understand last year when we were in the composition committee and we kept trying to basically I don't know Megan if you remember this but we would like rewrite the main outcome and then we would I mean we I mean sometimes I wanted to jump like (laughs) (laughs) wordsmithing I think is putting it lightly (laughs) putting it lightly but we also we came up with in retrospect, I realized this is what we were doing. So we would like rewrite the main outcome and then everyone would have their thousand ways of how they got there. And those had to be included. Um, And I think it's important that they're included, but what we need to say is those are included for you, right? Like we can all have our our bullets, our pathways of how we're going to get there, but those are our decision. And so, but when we started the process of trying to basically impose that on everyone else, you know, then the committee was like, but, but we forgot this pathway and we forgot that one. And I think it was actually a really fantastic, you know, kind of like experience for me to see that this is the passion of how everyone wants to get there. So we need to have the conversation about like, you are totally within your right and it's your prerogative to get there in that way. But like, maybe Lissa doesn't want to get there in that way. And that's her prerogative and her right. So if the outcomes are strong, and if we've had conversations around them, where we've come to terms, we haven't normed, right? We're not all the same per se, but we've come to some terms about the theory that informs them and what they mean and what they're trying to do. I think then we can like, it's exciting to come up with our our ways to reach them. I am a firm believer, and I don't know if I came up with this. I'll take credit if I did. <laughs> it's to you hurt. Yeah, totally mine. I believe in this idea of contagious enthusiasm, mm. that if I'm enthusiastic about something, I can get you on board. And so that's what's so great about each of us bringing. Yes. What is it that excites me that I can use as, ex- how can I, how can I, give this to you in a, in a digestible way. But that I also am really excited about that I think you should find value in. And that's what helps move that along yeah. instead of I'm having to teach this this way. I don't quite understand it. It's not my area of expertise yeah. or my forte, or I don't necessarily agree that social media is a, is yeah. a legitimate way to look at writing studies, you know, whatever it may be. But I, I just, um, I think those sessions were where we were experiencing those little snips of other people's enthusiasm. Like, this is what I, you know, is so important to me. And I mean, I had moments where I was like, oh yeah, I kind of, do I, am I doing that enough in my own courses? Am I making sure that that is being met, that need? Or, so it was a, it was an interesting process to get a glimpse. Since we all go off to our rooms that most of don't even have windows and we don't really get to see (laughs) what the other people. slip in a a gripe there. I like that. (laughs) 
I'm not naming building names, but uh, <laughs> that'll be off podcast. Um, you know, there's this chance to get a peek into what other people are doing because it is exciting. It is. To see what how other people approach it. And it's always inspiring. I think that's a really great, uh, Angie, observation about uh, the pathways and the way that they were functioning and, and how we were all approaching them uh, in that way. I, I, I think that that really kind of rings true to me about how we wanted to make sure that there were stated connections between, you know, maybe more assignment level things that we were doing connected to the outcomes, um, which I think now that you said that makes me think of, um, I think that comes from a lot of us as, as you know, uh, instructors, when we design an assignment, we want to present those to students, yes. right? So here are maybe the, the sort of higher level ideas behind this particular assignment. And then also presenting examples, presenting ways in which you could get to those ideas. So it really, it kind of stands to reason that when we were thinking about our course outcomes that we would want to do the same thing. Um, I think that, that um, you know, maybe ambiguity about just thinking about the outcomes themselves wasn't uh, enough at, at a certain point that we needed to kind of go through that process of, of thinking about, you know, connecting those so that we could, you know, be sure, like we would want to be clear and sure with our students about how you get to those, you know, kind of higher level things in an assignment that we might give them. Um, you know, kind of a, a look at those course outcomes the same way. But but again, I, I go back to your comment that you just mentioned about, you know, having that that trust in the culture of the department and the approach that, that we can get to those outcomes in a lot of different ways. And so I, th I think that's a great observation about uh, what's going on and what might be behind some of those the, those ideas of wanting to know exactly that the connection there. And I understand that 100%. I mean, I totally, I totally do. And I think we can regenerate pathways through conversations, but I, 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 I would worry that they would become um, public and stand in for the outcomes. But I think that regeneration or whatever you would want to call it comes from our co continuous conversation as committed faculty of first year writing about what we do. You know, and, and then we, we pull from the pot, you know, and then we adapt and and, and we exceed it and we revise it and, and then we come back and we continue, which is one of the things I truly love about our program is that it's very living. It's a very alive program. Um, um, everybody is like open, even if it's scary <laughs> and I don't know. I just I feel very fortunate that it's this school um, that I was I've been able to work with faculty on first year writing outcomes. So, so you you talk a little bit about what it was like bringing them and workshopping them with faculty. Yeah. But a part of the work that you and we have as a program have done this past year was also taking it into the classroom and asking yeah. students for their feedback. Yes. So what what was that like yeah. in terms of getting that that feedback after you had we had done all of this work and intensive yeah. thought and 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 uh, you know hours and hours of, of picking the perfect sentence. Yeah. Well, so like if we think about the timeline, I mean, it's really hard for me to believe that last year, 
given what last year was, is in 2020, 2021 was rough, um, that we also committed to reworking the outcomes. Um, but we did. So we worked all last year um, in the curriculum committee. And then over the summer, you know, there were two consultants that we worked with, Norbert Elliott and Maya Poe. And I, um, and so they were part of, you know, if we just think of the process, I want to, you know, I don't know, like shout out to them because they were extraordinarily helpful and continue to be. And it was actually through Norbert where I, it like clicked that it was a construct. We were developing a sphere, <laughs> you know, we weren't developing like a slice. And what that sphere meant was this complicated, you know, combination of like theory, research, rhetorical, local context. And and what they, you know, suggested is like what you believe in, <laughs> you know, which is a funny thing to say about an outcome. But like, Angie, what do you care about? Because, you know, that that's part of what we do. We can't, you know, kind of move, remove ourselves. But. You know, and then there was the beginning of the semester and there was a draft of the outcomes for 1101 and 1102. Um, and they were the best draft at the time. And there are faculty and both of you are them. <laughs> who, Not to toot our own horns or anything. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think big time tooting of horns because <laughs> I also piloted the 1101 outcomes. And I mean, some of them were... The core was there, but the verbiage was was a little rough. Um, but people went for it. And then throughout the semester, the process really was talking with faculty through focus groups, talking with students at the end of the semester. And then for me, every conversation, every curriculum committee meeting, I left and I made notes. This, you know, even if someone had like a, a kind of an interpretation that was not really intended, I made a note of that so that we could get to a point where we were talking in a language that was, I mean, obviously the language isn't transparent, but was as close to what we wanted to try to communicate as possible. And so the end of the semester, there were focus group interviews with students um, and Megan's class was one of the classes that we went into. And it was awesome. I will say without that, these outcomes would not be what they developed into. Even those tags mm. that are at the beginning, there was a student. It was the very first focus group I went to. And I mean, students were saying all kinds of really wonderful and helpful things. And then someone said, I just really wish I knew like what like the main point was could you just say the main point and then the outcome and then it clicked in my mind because i've been studying outcomes across the country you know and what they look like and what they say and there was there was an outcome statement from like information literacy in the library studies that had used those tags and i thought that's that's it so that was from a student we, we did that because of a student um I don't know. I just can't. I'm not going to like, you know, go into the weeds here, but the students are really what took them to the next level, I think, without their feedback. I, I, I just, 
And the fact that like I had never thought about that before is kind of boggles the mind when those are the those are the folks that we are beholden to. Um, but if I ever do this again at any time in my life, I will always include students every step of the way. Well, we I was speaking with another uh, colleague of ours, Meg Lambert, before this, and she was talking about how, you know, one of the the reasons behind this was a lot of this was stuff we were already doing in practice. So it was like putting into actual like um, policy per se, you know, what it is that we're actually, we're already doing a lot of these things, but making it so that this is like, okay, so now we're stating we're doing these things. But if we're talking about how much, you know, we value student agency and it was just, it, I thought it was just such a great experience for them that it's one thing to say, yeah, these are our, these are our outcomes and we're piloting them this semester. So you're part of this group that's working to see how all this comes together. And then they actually have the chance at the end to give feedback and input to the way that the program is going to serve them as they continue on into 1102 or if they were in 1102, their, their peers, future students, like that's, that's hugely impactful. And in a large university, you often feel like your particular voice isn't necessarily mm-hmm. the most important thing or, um, you know, ha- there's so much volume to compete with in terms of how your, your impact on the school. And what a wonderful experience for first year writers that they got to actually be a part of making the policy for people coming, you know, after them and, and they move forward. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, while it wasn't a, a focus group about revising the outcomes, I did have a day last semester that that was a really fun day in class where we took the outcomes, you know, towards the end of the semester where they would be applying them to their own work in the e-portfolio. And I asked the students what they thought these outcomes meant. I asked them to just give me give me a, a reaction, a definition without any, you know, kind of, uh, although I'd been working with them all semester, I'd, I'd never asked them that direct question before. And what I like about it is that uh, again, this idea of of you know we're teaching students to you know apply these these writing about writing ideas to the world around them, and so I always think, well, why not this class as well? This class is 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 an experience we're all sharing right now, so why not you know look at interrogate question you know things that that I'm asking them to do in this class right because I, I I you know have thought about them and and, and what they mean and and. But I, but I haven't heard from, you know, these group of students with with these outcomes what those interpretations are, and it was, it was a real eye opener. And then, you know, I asked them to, to, to connect those to things that they've done in the mm-hmm. class, and they were making, uh, uh, they were presenting arguments for connections that, you know, I, I had a list in my head ahead of time of what I what I could use, you know, sort of what I could use to to introduce or connect them, and and they did, you know, a. Uh, uh, rhetorical moves and, and argumentative moves and, and making a case, uh, things that, that I hadn't even uh, considered uh, yet um, for, for the outcomes. And so that was a real uh, eye-opening experience. And, and, um, and so, you know, with, with new outcomes, I'm excited to, to see what students make of those or, or the connections that they can make because, uh, you know, teaching them those, those moves and ways of looking at anything, even something I'm asking them to do in their class, um, I, I think is a really great way to sort of, you know, practice, you know, what we what we preach or practice what we teach, you know, students uh, in the classroom that that the materials that they're they're being giving are also fair game are also there to be to be, you know, analyzed and interpreted. 
talk about the content and the activity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to say there's a couple of things and now they're 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 like fleeting. But there were so many things I wanted to say while you were talking, but I was I'm like, don't interrupt, Angie. <laughs> <laughs> um but I think probably the the biggest one or the main one is that um like one of the things that I think is really gonna be really important about how we proceed with these outcomes is to construct what they capture from students. So we have outcomes that we've developed that provide, present, invite a particular kind of construct, which I think is what we've done and is also aspirational. I mean, I would say there's some things in there that are not what we necessarily have all done. Um, for example, the multiple literacies within writing process, to put that in an outcome is to say that we are actively pursuing non-alphabetic literacies and elevating those. Um, to put writing in power in an outcome is to say this is a conversation, um, a content conversation, and even a process conversation um, that needs to be had to understand how writing is working in, in the world at this moment. Um, the multiple ways of writing at 1102, the information literacy. So, I mean, I guess I will say, I think some of them are things we've done. Some of them are aspirational. Um, I think it's a good mix. But I think, um, to the point I was making before, that as we collect portfolios, as we learn from one another, as we write our assignments, or do some small revisions on existing assignments, or just simply do ex existing assignments, students are going to connect to those in new ways because of the holistic experience, right, of all of them tied together. And I think that is when we start to learn what does that outcome really mean? Um, because they're going to provide us with the full feature of the construct for writing at UCF. Um, and I'm really excited to see that. And we know it will happen <laughs> because it can't not. You cannot not make meaning when you are asked to connect something you're doing to something else. No matter how hard you try, you're going to make something up, right? <laughs> and so, because that's the prompt. Yeah. The prompt is to make a connection. Fill in the, that blank space. And I'm really excited to see what that is, um, especially for the outcomes that are these kind of aspirational outcomes that we don't know yet what that looks like. We learn um, as a result. You actually just gave me an idea because I'm, <laughs> I'm encountering a lot of students very recently that are using talked to text uh, uh -huh. software to yeah. compose, which was typically only accessible to, a, you know, a small group. And now it's become very common. I think it's that extension of texting. You know, they're speaking texting and now they're speaking to it. And you can really see it when you're reading their papers. You can tell huh. it's something that they have done conversationally. Yeah, mobile devices with them all the time. Yes, yes. And so that actually just gave, I had a, I was like, oh, I need to, th I need to think about that and consider that in the way that I'm approaching these multimodalities in class and how many of them are doing it and not even realizing it. That's the thing. Most of them are doing these things and don't even realize that they're as, as exceptional as they are. 
Yeah. And that's part of our work, right? Is yeah. to like help that excavation in a mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Oh, I think that's a great idea. Um, so Angie, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, uh, what's next? What's on the horizon? What are you excited about? Either either maybe something you're working on or, or something for the comp program. Um, what do you see in the near future? What's what's what do you have uh, uh, coming up, or or what are you excited about? Well, um, I'm excited about this semester. I mean, I could go like short term and, and longer term. Yeah. I think um, I started this job in 2017, um, and Megan, you weren't here, but Nick was here. And I sent out this inter-office memo. I found it the other day. I'm like, this is weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> what is an inter-office memo? Was it printed? How did it you was. Come? I wow. put it in people's boxes. Wow. <laughs> in the old Tr- Colburn Hall. Wow. And it survived. <laughs> I mean, that was only five years ago. So what is going on with time? <laughs> but anyway, that was a genre. Um, and it basically announced that the composition program was going to now dedicate its energy to transforming or kind of building on writing about writing from a social justice um, assets-based approach. And that that was like what we were gonna do. And so um, I feel as though we're at a place where over those years, like, there's something that's manifest in the world that we're going to start to operationalize. And so um, what I want to do this semester is like through any means help faculty feel like they're ready to take that large concept. I mean, we've already, you know, gone from like the theoretical kind of goal to the concrete in the outcomes to really get in there and have like conversations and generous, I, I don't know, sharing of, of ideas so that we can get to a place where we all feel like we could do this in real life. Um, so we have working groups that we're gonna be offering this semester for 1101 and 1102, where we're basically gonna start with whatever anyone's assignment sequence is this semester. And we're gonna start with a mapping activity. And I'm gonna do this too. I'm gonna do this along with everybody. And and um, I'm really excited. And we're also gonna do this with those shells that we created. And we're gonna map, where do we meet the outcomes? Where are there gaps? Where have we oversaturated ourselves? Meaning, like I met, outco- I met the third outcome like, like nobody's business, right? <laughs> you know, and we all have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> the students are really good at that one. <laughs> so working through that, you know, and kind of then coming back together in a roundtable style, sharing, helping each other figure out how to fill the gaps, make sense of the oversaturation, and then develop a kind of community repertoire of major and minor assignment examples um, that are not trying to um, determine what everyone does, but gives us a menu. So that's a goal this semester, just on the level of, as I said, like 
getting things done for the classroom because that's like I feel like that's where we are um, and then in terms of the assessment will start in the fall and kick off really with ePortfolio with which both of you do and, and most people do but you know we'll have some you know some kind of work there and then figure out how we're going to read those I think that will be a really fun activity that's something the curriculum committee is going to work on how do we read those from an assets-based perspective, from a translingual perspective? And what I mean by that is a perspective that sees um, language and rhetoric in motion, right? Where things can make contact with other traditions and other languages and other types of writing. How can we kind of make sense of that from an assessment perspective and, and not, I, I don't know, put that to the side because that is that is writing now. <laughs> writing now is not writing in silos, right? It's writing that is pulling from so many different modalities and languages and traditions. So I think those are two things that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, those will be assessment. That'll be a, a, a lot of great conversations. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Yeah. I'm really excited. And I will say, and so this is just one other note. So I collected last semester... Um, some equity gap data on our ENC 1101-1102 starting in um, fall 2018, ending in spring 2020. And I asked institutional knowledge management um, to collect data um, for 1101-1102 by semester, including summer, that was broken down by gender, race, ethnicity, um, Pell Grant status, first-gen status, um, and maybe that's maybe those are them. I need to go back and ask for modality too. But what we see in that data is that um, we have some work to do. Um, so I asked them to break this down by DFW rate, which is DF withdrawal and ABC, which as you know, you know, composition is a course that anything below a C minus um, is a fail. Or of course there's the withdrawal option. But um, there, there are gaps. There are gaps um, in students who have identified as first gen. There are more higher DFW rates. Um, there are gaps in race and ethnicity. Um, there are higher DFW rates uh, for minoritized students. And so what I see as our kind of next step is to figure out, can this new curriculum address that and how? And what other policies and practices do we have going on that can address those? And so a longer term assessment is tracking those numbers in relation to our activity vis-a-vis -vis our portfolio assessment, disaggregating across those categories so we can see if we're making any movement um, so that all students are getting yeah, what they deserve in higher ed. Um, so that's, I guess, a bigger picture for for assessment for us for the program it's so interesting to think about what what it is that we might be i don't want to take it as a deficit based approach but like where we're what current assets we have that we can build upon to better reach those communities you know yeah i mean i think we just need to do research at this point you know um like i said i need to break down by by modality um it, you know Sometimes students struggle with online. I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? So I don't want to like put out there, but I think the kind of interventions at this point 
are at the level of outcomes um, and curriculum. And then, but now we've got to try, you know, and, and see and keep doing that work. And also at the level of, um, of some policies, which is really what uh, prompted me to send those emails about the NC and the Gordon rule. So for example, in ENC 1102, that's where we have our largest gaps, our largest equity gaps um, in DFW and ABC. So 1102 is also a course that is pretty tight. It is, it is pretty unforgiving. So for example, if I've said my proposal, my bib, um, my lit review, and my, my research paper are all Gordon rule. And if you don't get one of those in, you fail the class. Well, if someone started to struggle during, I don't know, that second assignment, um, there is not a lot of recovery time. And so it becomes a snowball effect. And so this is a theory <laughs> um, that I have, but I think this intervention into the Gordon rule policy, I'm hoping will give us some data to see Right, if that's making kind of any difference. So that's an example um, of kind of from a policy perspective and then from a curricular perspective, two ways to address this data um, that, we, that we see. Yeah, I think those are all kind of uh, really important questions to ask. And I, I, I agree with, with your thoughts on 1102. It's something that I, you know, try to intervene with students, you know, even try to be more aware of of when that might when that snowball because I think of it exactly the same way it's 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 an, a snowball that can accumulate um, and make it hard for students to to recover um, because of how you know things build upon each other uh, especially in 1102 with with the research projects uh, that we have students do so yeah I think you know considering all all avenues and, and policies along with that is, is going to be a really important way of kind of, you know, uh, assessing what's going on w with students. I think it's interesting, too. It's one of those instances where we as professors feel that that snow, like that, mm. that sense of the, we have to get this back on track just as much as I'm sure students mm -hmm. do. Like this now seems insurmountable, like that same kind of feeling where we're kind of in it together with them, like, hey, we have to get you back on this path or it's going to be too late. And that is a very dire sense, <laughs> sense for a class that, you know, we're trying to encourage and foster and, and support and show them that this is something they can do. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that is, that's a, that'll be fruitful, I think. You know, but maybe there's the possibility that, you know, one of the 1102 outcomes is now uh, multiple ways of writing. You know, and then we've kind of given a more capacious definition to contributing knowledge. Um, we've brought in the types of genres, public and academic research genres. You know, so, so maybe, you know, maybe there's more room, right? Uh, like within the fear, in a sense, mm -hmm. um, to, to, to bring some assets to something that's already hard. Um, that multiple ways of writing... Um, outcome actually came from the focus group interviews with the students. A couple of students, one student said it and then everyone kind of piled on. Um, they said, I, I want to be able, it was something like, I'm really good at like visual stuff. Like I'm really good, you know, and they were naming some things. 
And it would be really cool if I could have used that. And I thought, why can't you? You know, I mean, because we can still teach the social actions, right? We can still teach the habits of mind and the ways of thinking and the transferable possibility of research with someone doing something multimodal in a final research project. I don't see why not. The MRAD is a genre, right? It's not the genre. Um, and so it's like stepping back a little bit from like a singular product toward the processes um, and like the core of what we want them to, to learn and transfer, I think is. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, what you said, Angie, is something that I think, you know, when I think about what's on the horizon or what I want want to do next or what I want to change or what I want to try or what I mm. want to improve upon. It's, it's, you know, having those kind of core you know, foundations of the way in which we teach composition with the outcomes. But again, the, 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 the creative way of getting there. Yes. Um, and I, I don't know what that is today or right now, but I think what's cool and exciting when I think about it is, I wonder what that's going to look like when I try to form that solution, right? It's 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 not there yet. It's not created yet, um, but it's out there, and it's that. I think to me that that searching of of mm. different ways of of getting to some of those kind of outcomes or or expressing those you know core values that we have as a program is something that that keeps that sort of you know desire going or that 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 sort of core you know motivation going for trying something else or changing something else and i think you know creating a a, a department or a place where that's the norm right and that's what we do and that's that's what we're doing together like i don't have to do it alone i know there's going to be people to talk to uh conversations to be had workshops all those kinds of things um uh, is exciting to to even if you don't know what that looks like yet even if you don't know what the wording of that assignment is or the presentation to the students maybe it's maybe it'll come from a, a student right and their reaction to something that will make something click and then we're like oh this is this is how i need to present this um yeah i i i, I don't have it yet but but i'm excited to try and figure that out so um that's something that i think is is kind of a a nice kind of ongoing uh, thing that we do in the department. Absolutely. Yeah, it's almost, I was just thinking the parallel between teaching composition is teaching how to do, um, you know, a theme in literature. Similarly, like, MRAD isn't necessarily the only way to learn how to write academically. And so it, it is exciting to think about how else can I approach this? What other things can I bring in that'll serve more students? Because the MRAD doesn't necessarily serve every student. So... Yeah, I think it would be cool to have a conversation or a workshop around like, you know, because we still are writing about writing program, you know, we're still situated, we're still content, you know, um, and activity together. But like, how many journals are there out there in the field that are doing all kinds? Some do web texts, right? How many public research genres are there? Some people blog, some people do podcasts, you know? Um, so it, it's like, it's a capacious I think more capacious. Yeah. Um, and I just, I wanted to say, Nick, about what you're saying. It just is so thrilling to me. Um, I could never have said it better, that idea of like 
being drawn to something and being okay with not knowing exactly what, but knowing you're going to get there, like, with others. Yeah. Um, is just really inspiring. I felt like <laughs> this... <laughs> and then you can just tell me to shut up because now we're going <laughs> to go off the rails. But, like, you know, it's like a magnetism, you know, to what you love. And you want to be drawn to it. Like, you want that. And so, like, we need an environment, and I think we have one, where we can want to be drawn to that, you know? Yeah. And we're just... I feel very fortunate in that way. Yeah, and I think that's, again, it's, it's, I think, what sustains, you know, that motivation over, you know, in the fall, it'll be uh, 10 years that I've been working in the department in some form or fashion, uh, you know, um, from, from being an adjunct uh, and graduating in 2012. So that's <laughs> shocking to me, again, how time works. Um, but I, I, but I think that's it, you know, uh, and looking back at, at, things that I've done before and and how they're changing I think uh, like you said that's that is something that that can keep it keep it going or or does keep it going for me at least absolutely yeah well it's always so fun to sit and chat with you because I mean I left I'm like making notes on my notepad of ideas that I'm having as we're talking about things that I want to look into on my own and things I want to bring into the classroom so thank you so much for spending the time with us giving us this chance to peek behind the curtain a little bit and <laughs> allow access for everyone to see a little bit of the, the thought and the work that goes into what it is we're doing. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Great. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. And thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>